know is pretty remarkable. And as the ultimate house of luxury has for over 100 years had a position which is authentic, which is singular and has a great integrity. And so hopefully over the years, our efforts will mean that there is a continuation of this legacy and also continue that exploration and the zone, the house of Chanel, but also one which is very focused on this idea of independence, authenticity, singularity, and very non-transactional kinds of engagement with the arts, which last for many, many, many years. You'd have thought that being Chanel's global head of arts and culture would be a jolly. Lots of front rows, glorious commissions and a healthy clothing allowance, surely. Well, who's to say that that's not the case? But as we'll hear from Jana Peel, who is Chanel's global head of arts and culture, it's also a job with plenty of responsibility, oversight and one with an important role to play in supporting a diverse and international range of art and artists. Jana Peel was born in Russia, studied in Canada and worked at Goldman Sachs in London before co-founding the Outset Art Fund, a benign outfit that buys contemporary artworks and gives them to public institutions, as well as funding fresh commissions. After a spell at London's Serpentine Gallery, Peel took up her position at Chanel, again with a certain benevolence at heart. The remit also includes administering the Chanel Art Fund and the Chanel Next Prize. Nice work, but how does it work? I'm Robert Bound, and I spoke to Jana Peel on The Big Interview. Jana, welcome to the programme. Lovely to have you here. Chanel, Global Head of Arts and Culture, two and a bit years into that tenure. Now, that is a wonderful, it's a wonderful job. It sounds like a wonderful title. I wondered how, before we talk about you've just come off a lovely trip and all the rest of it, how do we gauge the success of something like Global Head of Arts and Culture for Chanel? Who do you have your who do you have your who do you have your meetings with? Oh, well, thank you so much, Robert. <laughs> it is over two years. When I think about it, though, it's really a continuation of a hundred plus year legacy in terms of that spirit of Gabrielle Chanel, the curiosity, the generosity, the embrace of the avant garde. So, in this role as global head of arts and culture at Chanel, it's really been stewarding this incredible legacy and looking at modernity, thinking what does it mean to do as she did and to be part of what happens next. She said, I want to be part of what happens next. And so, yes, that's why I have been around the world in Asia recently, <laughs> figuring out what's new, what's next, and what matters most to cultural creators. When we met in the corridor just now, you think, so it looked a little bit like an airplane, <laughs> either a, an air bridge or the fuselage itself. It's kind of nice being back out and about on the road. Not really a road, is it? Where have you been? Where's your latest trip taken you? Well, yes, it feels amazing to be back in London at Chanel's global headquarters. Mm. And the past couple of weeks have taken me back to Asia, where I spent seven years but have not been back since the pandemic. For us at Chanel, Korea was a very important place to be during mm. the Freeze Art Fair. So it was really exciting to be there, to be shining a light on the now and the next, nice. uh, which was the three pairs of artists that we really chose to showcase as part of that inaugural fair. And it was amazing to be able to launch in our own environment with mm. friends like G-Dragon, Suju Park, and to really fuse all of those amazing disciplines also to 
really be able to think of Korea as an amazing host, but Korea as a cultural producer. So incredibly excited to have visited Korea and then Japan and then New York and Paris, but I'm happy <laughs> to flow in this conversation wherever you want to take me. That's all right. <laughs> uh, well, we'll talk about Korea for a little bit. There's a big Korean festival was going on here in London uh, last month, and that's been a, a wonderful thing and shone such a spotlight. It's a place I've visited sporadically during my tenure as culture editor of this magazine and stuff, and it was super exciting. We felt like a sort of cauldron of the new. I just came last night, actually, straight from the plane into the V&A's opening yeah. of Hallyu, yeah. the K-Wave, which was incredibly exciting because it's been interesting in this country to work for two decades in the cultural sector and also to see what a very concentrated program of cultural export has meant in terms of cultural film, music, of course, and fashion. Mm. And so... Really exciting to look at the films, Parasite, Pachinko, Squid Games, that of course have become globally renowned. Also on that note, one of our next prize winners, Jung Jae-il, was just nominated for an Emmy for Squid Games. And so to see at the Victorian Albert, where our own Chanel show will be this time next year, was really an amazing moment to see what a very concentrated program of public and private support has meant in post-war Korea. So yeah. super exciting to see that. Hopefully people get a chance to go to the V&A. There's also a fun dance component then with some of our favorite friends like G-Dragon and Jenny Kim from Blackpink. Nice. I mean, yeah, there's such a wealth of stuff. And talking about, you know, that, that remit of I want to be part of what's happening next, which is that sort of remit that you're the baton that you've taken up. I mean, no, nowhere seems to say that right now and for maybe the last decade than South Korea, right? I mean, that seems like a, such a crucible of the new and the next and super exciting for you personally and you, in your, you with your Chanel hat on. It is an actual hat, presumably, as well, fortunately. <laughs> finally, that's finally, where it all that's, started. Finally, that's not a metaphor that needs In to Deirdre's. be explained. Yeah, there we go. Does it feel like that for you? That that's a place where you're kind of sopping everything up, that you kind of... Jet lag's one of those things that helps, perhaps, because you're up at strange times in the day and night in order to be receptive to things. But, yeah, what was your Korean experience like as a cultural practitioner, as someone that's kind of picking up vibes everywhere? I think what was most exciting about being back in Seoul after several years for the inaugural freeze fair was just coming back to Asia mm. and feeling the incredible energy, both of Korea as a host, but also this incredible cultural producer. So for these pandemic years, we've been watching Pachinko and Parasite and Squid Games on TV. We've mm -hmm. had K-pop that's grown to this global phenomenon. But I thought what was amazing was to be back in this first international art fair in Asia since Hong Kong, really, when Art Basel rebranded Art Hong Kong. I was there in 2009 when it was the inaugural edition of a fair that Magnus Renfrew started, which he's now taking to Singapore, Taiwan, yeah. different parts of the world. And to see what it felt like to have Freeze, which in 2003 in our own Regents Park hmm. was a place where we inaugurated that initial fund for the Tate Museums, to see 20 years on just what a global phenomenon Freeze has become, and also to see how Korea has, through public and private programs and more museums and galleries, I think, than anywhere in the world, really created this incredible culture of collectors. And the energy of the youth was incredibly, incredibly exciting in terms of seeing what the sensation of RM and 
uh, G-Dragon meant to the yeah. new generation and to see amazing friends like Mickey Lee, who is also one of our Next Prize nominators in terms of the promotion of Korean culture abroad. I love seeing that in Seoul and I love seeing it back at the V&A and in shows that we're going to see. Michael Govan, I believe, at LACMA is staging Korean art from 1897 in terms of its modernism. The Guggenheim. That's going to make some people scratch their heads. Definitely. And just used to digital career as a digital entity, right? Yeah, and yeah. I think also that idea, you know, K-Wave is an overnight sensation. Yeah. I think what's fascinating about art is that it shows you that life is short and art is long. Yeah. And what we'll see in LACMA, what we'll see at the Guggenheim, what we're seeing at the V&A is that actually art is work, as Baldessari said. And yeah. there's been a very concentrated effort to blow up this phenomenon. It's interesting stuff because I feel like Chanel and Freeze or Basel, either of the two sort of art fair behemoths, are kind of, they're in an interesting position. And your specific role is right at the nexus of that, I'm sure, as you've sort of been describing, that I feel that, probably in a good way, that Chanel is almost like a post-fashion fashion house. And Art Basel or Freeze are almost like a post-art art fair. They're doing so much more than just selling paintings and selling clothes. They mean more. They're obviously very tech-savvy, 21st century-savvy, whatever-happens-next-savvy. Does it feel like the other discussions that you have at the top of the company thinking about that? I mean, you're, you're so far beyond, the, I suppose, perhaps the original foundations of those brands, those firms, those clothiers, those art fairs, right? Do you know what I mean? It feels like in a beyond sort of state somehow. Well, it's interesting. I can talk to what I know, which is culture and the culture of Chanel as it's evolved is really very much built on these values of being an independent company, Mm. uh, which is quite rare these days, that really believes in the freedom of creation, cultivates human potential and has this ambition to have a positive impact on the world. So you talk about the fairs, which of course are exciting because they draw so much energy, but what's really exciting for us is also those moments at the biennales or Mm. in the museums or in the places that are wildly non-transactional. And so I think that's what's really interesting about my endeavors and my mission in the house. It's to think back to Gabrielle Chanel's funding of Stravinsky and the Rite of Spring, which was wildly celebrated but grossly uncommercial. Um, And for me to think about this idea of never having to focus on a fashion collaboration in terms of driving my mission forward, but thinking about the kind of collaborations that can happen when 10 prize winners from gaming and filmmaking and hip-hop dance convene at the Biennale at a prize selected by Tilda Swinton, David Ajay, and Sal Fay, or the kinds of non-commercial spaces when we enter partnerships of knowledge exchange with museums around what matters most to them. So I think for me, whatever post means, it's definitely about doing good and doing well. And my mission here is very much about thinking of that potential of creators and within a frame, giving them the freedom to make sure that we can enable whatever it is that's needed, which varies from a filmmaker to a game designer to someone who is working in the visual arts or dance. But collectively, it means creating that kind of platform which does shine a spotlight and push ahead their big ideas, which we know drive society forward. Yeah. I mean, it feels like what I meant by that was more that, you know, Chanel and Freeze, for example, feel that they are, I know that Matthew Slossover wanted to set up, Matthew and Amanda wanted to do an art school yonks ago, and maybe that will happen one day. But very soon, that sort of dynamic duo kind of wanted to do things that were outside the small, you might say, remit of magazine to art fair to potential art school and giving back, I suppose. There feels like there's some of that. I wanted to, I suppose also you're referring, Yana, to the Chanel Culture Fund, 
which am I right in saying you are, you administer that yourself or that you're part of the group that administers that that fund? Well, we came up with that, I guess, somewhere coming out of the pandemic, because after a year of podcasts, which is a favoured medium, which I love, we launched Chanel Connect. So I thought you felt quite comfortable in here. Well, it's your... Despite the aircon's not doing... It's it's doing its best today, but it's a little wheezy. After Kanazawa at 39 degrees, it's perfect. It's actually very breezy. No, it was fun having those conversations, both internally with an incredible group of colleagues who Mm. really, uh, around the world, create a network that enables us to be very global in our mission, but local in our implementation. It really enabled me those conversations with people ranging from Edward Adamfell and Tilda Swinton with Nick Cullinan in the seat to think about who was getting to tell the stories. It got me thinking about women in the arts and what female filmmakers like Gillian Flynn or Emerald Fennell were saying and what needed to happen next. Mm -hmm. And from there came this idea that, yes, we needed to celebrate young artists who were coming up locally, but we also needed to enter into a knowledge exchange with some of the greatest institutions to try to understand what really could be additive from Chanel's philanthropic endeavor. And so... Culture Fund evolved out of some of those conversations, a appreciation that at Chanel, we are not about creating structures that will showcase private collections, but thinking about how do we partner with the greatest institutions in the world so that if National Portrait Gallery has a mission around reframing their narrative for next year's opening, we are able to put in a Chanel curator of female storytelling, and Dr. Flavia Frigeri becomes the partner that enables us for 2023 to be a partner that really levels the playing field in terms of who gets to tell the stories and how much representation there is beyond the traditional canon. As an extension of that, for the Culture Fund, it was thinking, what does this mean for the Pompidou? Mm. How can Chanel be additive in that kind of partnership? What does urbanism mean for an institution that was built by Renzo Piano, Sir Richard Rogers? And when Richard was part of our decision-making at the Serpentine for the pavilions every year. He taught me that an architect's job is to leave the city better than they found it. So there's also this thinking around the Pompidou in terms of their closure in 24. How can we work with them on a project called Assemble around urbanism, the physical, Web3, decentralization, the metaverse, where that takes us next? It's seemingly different from the NPG project, but it's a similar type of partnership that I think allows both of us to go further than we can go ourselves. And then as an extension, when we think about the East, the Culture Fund went to China, a place I'm dreaming of visiting again next year, and it was in Shanghai with a terrific director, Gong Yan, saying, what is it in Shanghai that matters most in terms of cultural production and where you need to go from here? And that became about craft and the celebration of craft, which is at the core of so much of our work, but really about leaning into the future of that métier. And so these are the kinds of partnerships we will continue to forge, but it seemed like a good balance with the Culture Fund to continue the work of producing, driving partnerships, convening, and also catalyzing new partnerships that Chanel could be really additive to. And you're in a lovely position to be able to drive things through from sort of conception to seeing people interacting with their art, that culture, whatever it might, whatever form of culture it might be. That's a lovely thing to do. And it's a question I ask of curators and artists. 
And I'll certainly ask the question of you because you, you, you're such a funder and a philanthropist for this stuff. And what's the feeling when you see people gathering around a sculpture, a painting? I mean, I'm thinking about the Pompidou Centre that has been the most successful kind of exponent of Renzo Piano and Richard Rogers' sort of democratic, generous architecture, see-through walls, sort of playful additions to an otherwise big old brutal building in lots of ways. And they must have got a lot of joy from seeing people interact with something that they built. And I feel that it's the same with curators and yourself, Fiona. You must get a lot of, there must be a lot of vibe that you get off of seeing the success of these things, even just two and a bit years into this job and the culture funds and all the rest of it. But it must be bearing fruit and you must be able to pick some of that fruit, I suppose, by now. Definitely. I think the energy is really extraordinary, especially these past couple of months being mm. back in the zones where people are really making the magic. And I think to that extent, I was just actually in Boston a couple of days ago, and I walked by a building and I saw this convening of students and I could tell something already was happening. And I looked at the building and I thought, wow, that's so great. This building is being used in such a great way. And then I realized, oh, it's a Corbusier building. This is... I thought it was a block party. And this It was. It was a it. block party in Cambridge <laughs> and it was a Corbusier building and the only one in America. Right. And I just thought, oh, you just feel this magnetism come off that moment when incredible spaces gather interesting voices and you're able to push the conversation forward. So I think for us, that moment of convening is really exciting. That moment of connections that might not otherwise be there, whether it's in a podcast, whether it's in a workshop with Tilda Swinton, David Ajay at the Venice Biennale, whether it's imagining future possibilities for these markets. Right now, it's wildly exciting to be thinking about the fair, the Biennale rather, in Thailand that's taking place in October called Ghost, mm-hmm. and the idea that terrific artist called Korakrit will be mobilizing these kinds of voices and that Chanel will really be in that moment where the ideas are going to take shape. And I'm sure in years forward, we'll be thinking about these things. But as we know, artists are always and often the crystal ball that so presciently show us the way forward. Like it. When you, so you told me that you moved to, you came to London in 1997, talking of artists making change, it's a very different art landscape then. But tell us a little bit about that and how you learned about art, the people that taught you about art, and what your understanding of London was in that kind of, it was a time when I, I you know, it was very much music and art that seemed to be the sort of British superpowers, I suppose. What did you make of it when you first came here to London, Janet? I think it's still music and art that are the London superpowers. So I'm still really excited that (laughs) plus ça change, as we say. Um, The more things change, the more they stay the same. So in 97, when I arrived just for one year of postgraduate work, I feel like it was that great Britannia, dawn of a new labor. Everything changed. It was Tony Blair. And I'll never forget that exhibition at the Royal Academy, Sensations, that truly changed the face of what you expected to see when you came into the museum As a side note, it's amazing that Marina Abramovich will next hold that space next year and that she's only the first woman to ever get a solo show at the Royal Academy. So maybe some things do change, and that in itself is transformation. But at the time in 1997, it was that incredible moment of possibility where the YBAs, despite the challenge of the economic environment, despite the struggle, were just incredibly cool and still are, but were really showing the way forward. It's amazing that Sarah Lucas, who was part of that community, is at the Tate next year. It's amazing that Damien Hurst has also continued to evolve from the physical to the digital. But I think it was really in that moment and in becoming friends with institutions in London, like the Serpentine Galleries, Mm. like Tate, like Hayward, 
that one was able to think about what it meant when you could combine the worlds that I was in at the time, which was finance and working in the city, with these greater aspirations to build the collections and exhibitions of some of the greatest museums in the country. And so I think what was incredibly exciting about 97, which is why LSE didn't just stand for Let's See Europe, it meant that I actually (laughs) stayed here for the next 25 years, was really this idea of London as an incredible generator of heat and light. And in that challenging political moment, also looking to music, looking Mm. to art to show us light out of the darkness, which I think London's cultural community has very much done through the pandemic. So it's amazing to emerge and to be in all these amazing places in Asia, to spend time in America, but also to come home where Chanel is headquartered, after all, and to Mm. be in the West End, to be able to travel up and down the city, up and down the country, and to see the kind of excitement that contemporary artists are continuing to generate. And of course, non-contemporary artists who are being remembered. So I love the celebration of the new and the next, but also the incredible honoring of voices that have not been heard. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good thing that's happened in the last sort of, 10 years or so, last five years, I suppose, especially, actually. And maybe that's part of the pandemic as well, that people had to have to look inwards rather than always outwards. People had to look in the stockroom. A lot of female artists, non-white artists, all these things to find stuff to replenish the walls with. And some of it was accidental, but the end result is, is a positive one. It feels like, a, feels like a good thing. And just finally, we started off talking about your role as Chanel's global head of arts and culture. Also, I wondered, we talked about how that enables artists and all sorts of different makers and people of, of all sorts of stripes to realise some ambition and change things for the better, we hope. But how does that change Chanel? Because I feel that that also is an ambition that you say has always been at the house. But how do the stories that you that are told all over the world, sometimes in Chanel's name, sometimes not, but are the beneficiaries of your beneficence, if that's the right word, what, how do they change Chanel? What happens in France and across the world at boardroom level? What does that do to, to you guys? Well, hopefully nothing that I'm doing changes Chanel, because <laughs> Chanel is pretty remarkable. And as the ultimate house of luxury has for over 100 years, had a position which is authentic, which is singular, and has a great integrity in terms of its creations across fashion, across fragrance and beauty, and across jewelry as this ultimate house of luxury that it has always been. Hopefully what we're doing in arts and culture complements and enhances the efforts of those creators and enables us to truly continue that tradition, which we're stewards of, in terms of taking that munificence, was it? I love that word. <laughs> the munificence. Uh, or beneficence. Munificence or beneficence. Beneficence. Taking the... Someone will write in and let's say, try I that got again. it wrong. And there we are, taking the beneficence, as you called it, of Gabrielle Chanel herself and thinking about how do we extend that to a modern day community, which is the same that she brought together at her summer home, La Pausa, which was Salvador Dali, who painted 13 pictures between September and December in the south of France. It was Jean Cocteau, it was Picasso, it was Diaghilev. So in that spirit, when I look at a table and we have with us Jung Jae-il, who created the music for Squid Games and is one of our 100,000 euro next prize winners, sitting alongside Precious. And they were, of course, 
the star of the Venice Biennale, it makes me think, oh, maybe we're continuing this tradition in a way that is authentically Chanel. And so hopefully over the years, our efforts will mean that there is a continuation of this legacy and also continue that exploration and the zone, the house of Chanel, but also one which is very focused on this idea of independence, authenticity, singularity, and very non-transactional kinds of engagement with the arts, which last for many, many, many years and give us great impact in terms of what we see with society going forward. What was it Gabrielle Chanel said that's the mantra? I want to be part of what happens next. Je vais être de ce qui va arriver. Sounds better in French, doesn't it? Yann Pale, <laughs> thank you very much. Everything sounds better in French. <laughs> thank you, Robert. That is it for this edition of The Big Interview. Thanks to our producer, Emma Searle, our editor, Jack Dewars, and our researcher, Lillian Fawcett. From me, Robert Bounds, thank you very much for listening. And until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.